We start today something brand new. We're starting something called the story. Uh, you know, something about the story. Stories are important for us, you know, because when you, any of you have had children and you put them to bed at night, what are the two requests that kids usually make when, you know, they don't really want to go to bed? The first thing they say is, I want a drink of water. You know, I want a drink. And the other thing is they tell you, tell me a story. Tell me a story. Uh, stories have some kind of powerful uh, way of, uh, it's a f- powerful form of communication. Um, that's why we're going to spend the next several months, actually 31 weeks, uh, over the next uh, few months, talking about the story of God. Um, the story of God is found in this book. We call it the Bible. And the Bible, we believe, is not just something like any other book that, that's out there. The Bible, we believe, is God's Word. Uh, it says it in it in the Bible in Second Timothy, in First Peter, and First Thessalonians. It says that that God's word is the Bible, and it's a powerful word. Uh, and this book, we believe, will teach you and me that we're not here by accident. That God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And so, as we study the Bible as one story together, and actually, this, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but actually studying the Bible as as a whole, you will understand that it's not just a bunch of disjointed parts that are stuck together. Now, the interesting thing about the, the Bible, though, is the Bible is not written like any other book. It was actually a compilation of different parts of God's story and interaction with mankind. It was a, pulled together over a period of time. And much of the Bible, even though it's chronological, is not chronological. Uh, the, the majority of the Bible, as you read it, is in order. But there's large portions of it as well that are grouped by theme or by author and uh, we're going to do something, and we, we've encouraged you over the last few weeks to purchase a copy of this book called The Story. And we have more po- copies of that out, out front as well. And we, we did that because uh, what this book is something that Zondervan did a few years ago, in 2006, 2007, I believe, is they took, and they took actually scripture, and they placed it in a chronological order uh, from the beginning in Genesis throughout the end of what the Bible talks about. And you will find that in here, as you read this book, that any time it's in a normal font, that means it's Scripture. It's literally the Scripture. It's new NIV Scripture, new International Version Scripture. But occasionally you will find places in this book that are in italics. And the words in italics are transitional statements that are made by the authors that kind of help you to go from one passage to another. And the interesting thing about it, it's in 31 chapters. And the chapters have no verses or references. It doesn't say Genesis chapter 1 verse this. It just simply start you start reading it just like you do a book. Because originally the Bible did not have those, those references in it. Did not have Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. It just was just read like a story. And it was written that way. And so for you to be able to read this and to kind of get a, a grasp of the whole Bible, what we did is we wanted to encourage you to purchase this. And if you don't have the money to buy, buy one of these, hey... We want you to have one, okay? There's no excuse not to have one of these. So if you need, need one of these, you don't have the money uh, today, or if you don't have the money, go by the table after this and say, hey, the pastor told me to come by and pick up a story. That's fine, okay? We don't want anybody. Now, if you pick one up, I, I want you to pick it up and use it. Not just pick it up and say, oh, this is a nice thing to put on my coffee table. I'm This is so cool. But uh, I want you to use it because you'll find probably... I'm guessing about 75% of the Old and New Testaments are in here. And about 80% of the stuff that's in here is actually Scripture. With, and then the summary statements are the transitional statements as well. 
Now, I want to say something about this, though. This is not a replacement for your Bible. Okay? This is a tool to be used to encourage you to understand how the Bible's put together. Now, on the back of this book, there are the place where it says these are where the references came from. And one of the questions somebody asked me is this. Okay, what do I bring to worship then? Bring this each week. Okay, bring the Bible. Because I am going to give you the references. And it's really hard for me to tell you, go to page whatever, in the middle of the page somewhere, you know, and to be able to read that. So bring the Bible here. Now, if you go to your small group, which I would encourage you to be a part of, uh, because if you want to get the most out of this study over the next several weeks, it's not just a study. It's, it's a time of, of, of grasping God's word, of helping us to understand the breadth of the upper story of God's big picture story and the lower story of how God took uh, all the things that happened in the world, the, the interactions of mankind, and he puts them all together into a, into a story that, that tell, tells us about how, what God's purpose is in the world and what our part is. The best way to do that is for you to be not only reading each week, chapter, the chapter of the week, which is not many pages, maybe 12, 12, 13 pages. And, but also what you need to do is take that, read that, Come on Sunday mornings. We'll talk about it. Now, of course, in 30, 40 minutes, I don't know, today I have all kind of time. No, well, not really. But uh, I was going to like, did they just forget that they thought maybe because I'm back and I'm away, they gave me more time? Uh, I got up here, I had 35 minutes. I'm going, wow, it's a record. Um, but uh, not only to do that, but I can only, you know, I can only uh, cover so much in a given week. Myself, Chris, whoever's teaching in a given week, you can only cover a small, small portion because today we're going to look at six chapters in Genesis plus an introduction. Okay, so uh, we have all that. So I'm only going to be able to cover a small portion. But in your small group, your community group, you can not only do that, but you can talk more about some questions you may have that comes out of the study. And so the thing is, I encourage you. If you're not already in a community group, a small group, to go out there right after the service today, go out there and say, hey, I need to be in a community group. None of these groups, I mean, if they look great, they work for you, great. If not, sign up anyway. We'll try to connect you with other people to get together and study together the story over the next several weeks. I believe it's going to be one of the best things you've ever done. Our prayer this year from our leadership perspective is this, that every person that attends Great Oaks We'll have an incredible understanding of what God's story is all about. And we hope that everyone will pick up a copy of the story, read the story, and, and that each week that we will learn more and more and see that God has a purpose and a plan for every one of our lives. That you'll have a greater appreciation. And at the end of this year, you'll want to read this even more and learn, study this even more and apply this even more to your life as you understand how it all fits together. That's our purpose in doing this. So, this morning, last week, actually, Chris talked and finished up this last series, but we gave you a homework assignment. We did. We did. I asked you to read the first chapter of the story. Anybody here read the first chapter of the story? Wow, you guys are good. Okay, you're way ahead of everybody else that didn't read it. If you didn't read it, okay, you're all right. Read it. But now you got this week to read chapter 1 and chapter 2, okay? Because this coming week, your, your assignment is to read chapter 2, because that's what we'll be talking about uh, next week. Today, though, we want to talk about chapter 1 of the story. And I, something I've always wanted to say, but have never said, turn in your Bibles to page 1. Page 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Creation, the beginning of life as we know it. Creation, the beginning of life as we know it is the title for our today's message. 
today's uh, chapter in the introduction. Now, in, in the very beginning of Genesis, in the very beginning of the Bible, there's some big themes to cover. And chapter one deals with some really big themes. You know, any good book starts with a, with a really something that grabs your attention and says, this is what we're going to talk about. And the Bible is no exception. The Bible is, it starts off and, and it talks and something we're going to see throughout our whole study is this. It's what I call an earthly dilemma that needs a divine solution. An earthly dilemma that needs a divine solution. The Bible deals with that everywhere. And matter of fact, I want to tell you right up front that the Bible really from chapter 1 of Genesis or the early part of Genesis all the way through points toward one event in history. That's God's plan for us and God's plan and that is Jesus Christ. And I want to show you today that actually in Genesis it points toward that as well. It's not just disconnected from everything else. But chapter 1 begins and basically the first part, Genesis 1 and 2 deals with this. God creates and it's all good. God creates and it's all good. You ever heard anybody go around, it's all good. It's all good. I, do you, I don't know if I agree with that, but because we live in a fallen world and uh, it's not always all good. But some people have that attitude, right? It's all good. Well, that's kind of what God says in chapter 1 of Genesis. It says in, in the very first verse and the very first uh, page of Scripture says this, in the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God. We learn in the first four words of the Bible that this is going to be about whom? It's about God. And then it says, as another word, the next word, in the beginning, God, what? He created. He created. The main character of the whole Bible is introduced in the first phrase. It's God. And it says in the very first phrase that this God created. Now, that Hebrew word that's used there for creation is a word that's only used for one. It's, it doesn't mean like you, you made created some kind of a cake or something, okay? Because you had ingredients to create the cake. The Hebrew word here literally means it's only used for, of the divine creation, creative activity. It means creating something from nothing. Creating something from nothing. It says God created something from nothing. And if we believe the first line of the Bible, that God, there is a God who can create something from nothing, then we should have no problem with anything else in the Bible. Because everything else is easy, right? I mean, if you can create something from nothing, what's the big deal about, you know, having a guy, you know, uh, swallowed by a fish and, you know, throwing up on a shore somewhere and being all right? What's the big deal about him parting the, parting the Red Sea? What's the build, uh, a big deal about him doing miracles over, you know, miracles after miracles? What's the big deal when you can create something out of nothing? And that's what the Bible begins. God in the beginning, in the beginning, God created now, in the pattern of creation, we'll read in the first chapter, and I cannot go through all the details of it, but basically it tells us about how God created on certain periods of time. God created, and, and, and it says at the end of each of those first few creation periods, it says he created, and then he says what? It's all good. It's all good. He says it's good. It's all good. And then it says in verse 26 of Genesis uh, chapter 1, after it says all the things that God created, it says, then God said... Let us make mankind in our image. Now, it's interesting. Stop a minute. Let us make, let us, us? I thought God was like this God. 
You know, but from the very beginning here, it mentions God as a trinity, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all there from the very beginning of time. It's this relationship of God. Now, I don't understand how to describe that to you other than to say that it was true. It was real. But it says, let us make God, mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, the mankind may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I know in our world today that there's this big debate between creation and evolution, okay? I don't understand why there's a big debate because truthfully, if you began to, and I was recently this week, uh, actually a couple of weeks ago, um, reading, uh, there's a good website called Evolution Science or Science and Evolution, uh, Science and the Bible, Science and the Bible. I can't remember exactly what it's called. I'll look it up if you want to know. But uh, scienceinthebible.org, anyway, it's, it's dealing with people who are Christians who are scientists and they simply say this. He said, if you really look at evolution over the last 60 years, the problem with evolution is that most of the theories that were there 60 years ago have been disbunked even by scientists. And it keeps changing all the time. You have to have people, you have to be a person of great faith, incredible faith, to believe in evolution. Because, but I believe because of what the Bible says, I believe in creation because of Genesis chapter 1. See, the thing is, is that because this is so much concern, it's like the little girl who went to her parents, and her, and her mom was a Christian, her dad wasn't. And she went to her mom and she said, Mom, she said, how did I get here? And she says, well, honey, God created all things and tells her the story of creation. And, you know, and, and God created us and had a purpose for our lives. And then she goes to her dad and says, Dad, uh, how do we get here? And he goes, well, long ago there was monkeys. And the monkeys became like a little bit higher level monkeys and a little bit higher level monkeys and just kind of happened that way. And, and then eventually they evolved into us and that's how we got here. And she goes back to her mom and she says, Mommy says, I'm really confused. I'm so confused. What is the deal about dad? Daddy says, I came from a monkey. You say, I came, God created me. What's the difference? She says, well, honey, it's really easy. Let me explain to you. When I told you how it was created, I was talking about my side of the family. You get the rest, right? See, sometimes we have all this confusion in our world, and we have to choose. It's not either or, both and. You know, I, I know a lot of Christians who are scientists who will say to you, hey, you can, you can believe in science and still believe in God. It's just that sometimes it's not the same as saying that, it, that, that it, uh, it's the same. And I will tell you this. I know this for a fact. Evolution says that you're here by accident. But creation says... That we're here for a purpose. And the Bible says you are loved by the creator and have a relationship with him that no other created being has. God has a purpose for our lives. And I think that's encouraging. I know this past week when I was up at camp, at Miracle Camp, uh, I really had some, I was distracted by creation a lot. I was sitting on the beach on uh, Wednesday. Uh, uh, the beach at Miracle Camp is kind of cool. It's on a lake. If you've never been there, it's a beautiful place. And nobody was there. I mean, it was crazy over last weekend with all the guys that were there. You know, the kids running around. And, you know, it's like everything's going on. It's just hectic and crazy. And then on Monday afternoon, man, we had the whole place to ourselves. And so I was sitting out there. And all of a sudden, I started noticing things that I hadn't noticed the rest of the week because of all of you guys. Mostly your kids. 
I love your kids, but you know, they're still very distracting sometimes. But the issue was, is that out on the beach as I was sitting there, I noticed over here, you know, here's this whole group of, of geese and, and there's huge, I mean, there's like, they just keep flying and flapping on the water. You know, I was trying to do my quiet time and they, they would kept us, creation kept disturbing it. And then there's this whole group, I don't know if they called, I called them turkey vultures. They're real ugly, you know, but they were out. It's a whole bunch of those over there, you know, a bunch of those. And then it was over here in another place. There was two beautiful swans. They were huge floating on the water. And then it was over here, a couple of, couple of cranes. And these are all, we call them birds, but man, they were so different. God had created them in such an incredibly different way. And I'm going, that couldn't be by accident. God had made things for purposes and they all interact in different ways. And that's just a small portion of the creation that was there. It was, it was incredible trying to, trying to read Genesis about creation and creation keeps getting in your way. So I just quit, I just put the Bible down and said, okay, you got my attention, God. There it is. So it says in chapter one that God created. He created all things. He created it for a purpose. He, he created in order. And we can get hung up sometimes about saying it. Was it a literal seven days or was it, you know, what does it mean? Well, you know, does it matter? Really? I mean, the God I believe in could create like that and everything happened or he can create it a thousand years or ten thousand years. It doesn't really matter. The purpose of Genesis is to say God created and he had a purpose in what we do. And in Genesis 26, it says, you know, it says that it been saying everything was good. And then he says, interesting. And then he says he creates mankind in, in, in the likeness of God. And then in verse uh, tw- uh, 20, uh, verses 20 and 22, uh, it said right before that, but for Adam, no suitable helper was chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 20 and 22 and 25. It says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So in the creation, the highlight of creation is, is, is people, man and woman. Now, some people will say, well, why did God create man first? Well, I heard a woman one time tell me this. Uh, <clears throat> she said the reason was because uh, God created man, and then he looked at man and says, I can do better than that. Uh, well, whatever your theory is, I don't know. You know, the issue is I heard man say the other thing, you know. I heard another man one time say, well, the reason that God created man first is because if you create a woman first, you keep giving him advice about how to fix it. And so, whichever way you want to deal with it, okay? But the issue is, as God created, it says, he created both. And, and, and you know, while everything else, every other, every other period of creation, he says, it is good. What does he say differently when he creates mankind? He said it is very good. It's not just good, man. It is great. This is the best of everything I've created. And so man is a unique creation, unlike any other of God's created beings. And it says, and we can read in the first couple of chapters about how he lived in the garden there in this perfect relationship with each other. Man and woman lived together. They were naked. They had no shame. They had no understanding of that concept. They lived in perfect relationship with God. They walked with God daily. And in theory, they could, they could have lived that way forever. But earlier in, in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God gave them one ground rule. What was that ground rule? It says this, The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. 
He gave him one rule. There wasn't ten commandments. There wasn't a thousand commandments. There was one rule. And you're going like, man, wouldn't I like to live in a world with one rule? Couldn't you obey the one rule? We wish we could. But obviously that doesn't work because we read a little bit further beginning in chapter 3 of Genesis. And I know I'm going through this fast because that's why you go to small group. Because you can talk about this for a long time in your small group. But what happened is they didn't live in this forever because they broke the one rule. And in Genesis 3, after, like I said, the first two chapters were called, were called the thing is, is that God creates, it's all good. The next se- section I will call man sins, everything falls apart. Chapter 3 of Genesis. Genesis 3 recounts the day that mankind's struggle between good and evil begins. It's a pivotal moment in the story and one that we can all relate to. Genesis 3.1, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so he began this thing, this temptation, this process of being tempted to, to, to question God. And the question, the first question that Satan, the serpent, says to the lady is this. He questions God and he says God's word. He says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? Did God really do that? Hey, think about it a little further. Let's, let's question God's word. And then, he's, then he denies God's word. He says, you know, God didn't really say that. You will surely not die. You won't do that. That's not going to happen. And then he finally reverses God's word. And he says, if, because if you do, your eyes will be open. You'll really live. Because God had said, if you do, you will die. He turns it all around. He twists it all around. He's, he, he tempts. He says, you know, you might want to take this because it's not really what God says. And we've been doing that for, that was just the beginning of a cycle that all of us do. That we question God. Did God really mean that I'm supposed to give a certain percentage of my income to him? And trust him with the rest? Did God really mean that I'm supposed to have a monogamous relationship with one person, a man and a woman, for the rest of my life? Did God really mean that? We start questioning God about all these things. But in verse 6, it says this after Satan questions the lady and, and asks her this, and, uh, questions Eve, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, you know, she looked at it, she's going, oh, I've been looking at it, it looks good, it looks good, doesn't get any better than this. I mean, maybe a whole bunch of, comm- I don't know what the deal was, but anyway, and she's also desirable for gaining wisdom. She said, oh, Satan said, if I do this, I'll get smarter. We all want to be smarter, right? Because being smarter makes us make better decisions. Yeah, the more knowledge you have, the better decisions you make. Is that the way the life works? Uh, no. So also desire for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. Then she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It says he was with her. He wasn't somewhere else. He was with her. Read that one. Because we're always blaming who? Eve did it first. She's the one responsible. No, the guy was with her. Let me, let me tell you this. Eve should not have eaten of it, Right? But gentlemen, let me share with you something that God later says about our role in our family. Adam should have helped her resist it. He should have protected her. He had a role in this too. 
It wasn't Eve's sin. It was Eve's and Adam's sin of doubting God, of not trusting God, of going away from God, of eliminating this perfect relationship. And then in verse 7, it says, this is the result of that. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Up until this point of time, there was perfect innocence in their relationship. It says that they were naked earlier, and they did not even realize it. It wasn't even an issue. But all of a sudden, when they ate of this tree, this, they broke the one rule between God. They opened, their eyes were open to some things that they didn't, hadn't seen before. And what happens? It becomes this cycle of sin in their lives. And it was passed from Adam and Eve onto their, their, their children. And all the way to the time of Noah, when God destroys the earth with a flood. And we look at this and we ask ourselves the question, we would like to think that we would do differently. That if we had the choice of not breaking the one rule, that we would do differently. We can just eliminate that. Only one problem is, I've read the New Testament too. And the New Testament talks about when Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, it's not just when you think, when you do something, but it's also when you think about it. Can you the rest of your life constantly never, ever, ever have a wrong thought or a wrong action? Just not going to happen, folks. I know me. And that's all I have to know. <laughs> and, I, and I think I know you too. And we would have done the same thing. And we're going like, why in the world would God have designed us that way? Because he wants us to love us. He wants us to love him, not because he forces us to, but because he gives us an option to do that. But he wants to give us choice. And he designed it. We're going like, wow, what would God? that's on the, the lower story. On the upper story, though, God has a plan and a purpose all along, even from day one. That's even bigger than that. And as we read further here, the next few chapters, a couple of chapters of Genesis, we read about the story of, other, of the sons, Cain and Abel, and how they, they, what happened to them is that they, they come into the world, two, two sons, and, and what do they do? They follow the pattern. Cain is jealous of Abel. He kills, he kills, his, he kills his brother. And that cycle of sin and, uh, continues along the way. And then, in, and then quickly, the world's populated. And there was somebody's going like, where did all these people come from? I don't know. If God can create two, he can create a million, okay? It doesn't say the purpose of Genesis is not to tell you every detail. It's to say God is the creator God. So I figured out somewhere along the way he created enough people to get it going. That's my God, okay? I don't know about your God. For the old, if you detail people, that drives you crazy. But let me tell you, I'm not that way. So anyway, um, <clears throat> But we read further, and that happens. And then later in Genesis 6, we see the dilemma or the depth of the sin of how it gets there. And, and it comes to the story of, of a man, Noah, that, that the earth had been populated to a certain degree. And it says that basically everyone was evil. It says in verse 5 of chapter 6, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination, and listen to this, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I'm going like, I'm not that bad. I don't think evil all the time. Just 80%. You know, maybe not. Hopefully not. 
The issue is, though, he's saying this is what it is. And, and we know that story. Basically, he comes to a place where he sees the evil. God sees the evil. And we're going like, did he know it was going to happen? Yeah, I believe he did. But he did it anyway. There's a lower story of what happened and the upper story of what God's orchestrating throughout history. And basically the story of Noah is he comes to a place and he chooses the one guy that's the most righteous, not perfect, the most righteous of all the people on the earth. And he says, I'm going to start all over with you. And basically he wipes out everything through the flood. And he starts all over again with Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives. And we read that story and we understand that. God creates, it's all good. Man sins, everything falls apart. And so what's the answer to this earthly dilemma, this, this story that's, that's unfolding even in the first few chapters of the Bible? God promises there's still hope. God promises, even in the first, first part of Scripture, God promises there is still hope. While Adam, Eve, Cain, Noah, and each of us are struggling with our sinfulness in the lower story, the God of the universe is unfolding in his upper story. Even in the midst of the chaos of this world, there are hints of hope in the first chapter of the story. God talks, and two of these things points toward what's going to happen down the road. Let me give you two instances of this here, how it points toward what God's doing. God talks to to Satan after the sin of Adam and Eve. After the Satan, the serpent has tempted Eve, even Adam, and, and even Adam to eat of the fruit. God says in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says this to the serpent. And this is called the first messianic prophecy, the first prophecy that, of pointing toward the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's saying this to the serpent. And between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Basically what he's saying, Satan, you will have the ability to do limited damage to people. You will strike at them. You will tempt them. You will try to get them to trip up. And they will a lot. But ultimately, there's going to be a day. It's going to be called Easter Sunday morning. When I'll crush you. And when I crush you, it's done forever. I mean, even in Genesis, it points toward God's ultimate solution for you and for me. In another place there, just a little bit further in chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned and they felt shame and they tried to cover their nakedness with fig leaves, there's a strange little thing where it says that uh, God killed an animal to cover the shame of sin. In Genesis 3.21, the Lord made God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, his wife, and clothed them. Now, is it a modesty issue? I mean, yeah, they, they, they do their work. But, I mean, is, 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 is animal skins better than fig leaves? I don't have bigger fig leaves. I really don't know. But it wasn't a modesty issue. It wasn't like the, the, the animal skins covered more so that it was, it wasn't that. It was, God was saying something even then because the, the thing is, is that God takes an animal. Think of this. He took an animal. He shed its blood. And he uses that to cover the shame, the sin of the man and the woman. He uses the skins of the animal whose blood has been shed. The point, it points toward the New Testament in Hebrews 9.22, which says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Talking about, ultimately, the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ. 
You see, the story in Genesis in chapter 1, in the story, chapter 1, what it talks about is this. It says that our world has been drifting from the beginning of time, drifting further and further from God, and sin dominates in our world. And yet it's in the midst of that bleak picture of sin that God created things. It's all good, but we turn it around and we, we go our own way. We choose our own thing. And even in the midst of the very beginning, God offers this window of hope, this picture of Jesus Christ. He offers life to us, even from chapter 1 of the story. This morning has been an introduction. This morning has been a time where we simply begin to look at what God's Word has to say. But I want to share with you with this. Even from the beginning, God gives us hope because He says to us, you know, Noah, he chose the best of that day. Was Noah really a great guy? Well, read chapter 8 and 9. If that's the best we have, we are in trouble. But God could have wiped out the human race from day one. He could have. But his plan, his upper story, was always there. It's pointing toward his ultimate solution. It keeps going over. It keeps proving to us over and over, as we'll see in the Old Testament, that we can't do it on our own. That God has a plan and a purpose And it's his son, Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, you know, where are you? Is your God the God in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God, a God who can create out of nothing? A God who can do anything? A God who did the one thing that allows us to have a relationship with him? And have you trusted in that God? You said, God, you know, I'm just like Adam, just like Eve, just like Noah, just like Cain. Yeah, you've created all these wonderful things. And yeah, I have thoughts and actions that would not please you. They don't even please me. But God, I trust that even from the beginning of time, you had this plan, this purpose that pointed toward Jesus Christ who, because of his shed blood, he allows us to have a relationship with God who's perfect. And all of the Bible is really about that. I would encourage you this morning, if you've never placed your trust in that God, the creator God, the big God, that you can do simply do that by saying, God, I want to know how to have a relationship with you today. And I want to challenge you to fall in our service today. There will be some people over at the prayer room. And they'd love to sit down with you. And they'd love to talk with you about having a relationship with this God. It's not hard. It's the most important decision in your whole life. But it's not hard. Because that's the way our God is. He wants to have, from day one, a relationship with us. And he knew that if he based it upon our goodness, it would never happen. But he chose to do it anyway. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.